Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Blazers, we chat with a cricket star who excels with bat and ball, as well as being the captain of the inaugural Australian Aboriginal cricket team when she was still in her teens. Currently in New Zealand with the Australian women's side for the ODI and T20 series, today's trailblazer is Ash Gardner. Gardner speaking to us from New Zealand. How are things across the ditch, Ash? Yeah, it's been pretty good so far. We're obviously um, in quarantine over here, but we've been pretty lucky with the conditions um, that we've had. We had uh, it was like a three-day hard isolation where we weren't um, obviously allowed to leave the facility, but today we were able to get out um, and actually do some cricket training, which was fantastic. So as the rest of the world waits for international travel to come back, what, what was it like? Was this flight to New Zealand very, very different, the protocols, the movement from, you know, airports to your hotel site? Yeah, it was a um, chartered flight. So we're obviously the only ones on there with the um, air hostesses. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty different. Um, and then basically we were, um, I guess, ushered off. Um, once we got through security, ushered off. Um, into our buses and then pretty much, yeah, straight from the bus um, into the hotel and, yeah, we haven't done much else since. So charter flight, is that uh, your preferred mode of travel now? You had the whole plane to yourself. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, I mean, if I could have that all the time, fantastic. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's a bit unrealistic, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. Uh, So how long is your quarantine? When when do you get out and when will you be able to start uh, moving about? Uh, so ours is 14 days, like um, everywhere else pretty much in the world. And um, after those 14 days, we fly straight to Hamilton, which is where our first um, T20 match is against the Kiwis. And, um, yeah, pretty much after that, we can live a relatively normal life um, over here in New Zealand. And then obviously keeping in mind um, not to, I guess, breach any protocols and um, yeah, just make smart decisions while we're here. Mm. So Sunday, of course, that one-day series at Seddon Park starts, as you said, in Hamilton. Uh, in the meantime, though, you've had a bit of time to sort of uh, reflect and, and, and be alone with your own thoughts. And tell me, it's been a year since that memorable moment at the MCG. How much do you recall of that T20 World Cup final? Yeah, um, I know it's crazy to think that a year ago we were there with um, almost 90,000 people. Um, to think that that couldn't happen again was um, pretty surreal, but... Yeah, it's um, probably one of the best days of my life so far, let alone um, my career. But, yeah, there's so many highlights that I can take from that game. But I guess the cherry on top was definitely being on stage with Katy Perry at the end. (laughs) Were you rocking it out? How were your dance moves? (laughs) 
<laughs> um, I hadn't have, I hadn't had enough drinks by then, so I was um, yeah, I was pretty <laughs> stiff up on stage, but um, I'm sure later in the night I was all right. And televised to the world so you can never forget. Uh, of course, there were also 86,174 spectators uh, to that. After, of course, we went to no sport and no fans. How did you come down and wind down after such an incredible experience? Yeah, it was crazy. Um, when we walked out onto the MCG, I think everyone had dreamt of playing in front of that many people. And we all thought that it was probably never going to be possible. But, um, yeah, it was an absolutely magical day and if it was normal world, we would have been flying to South Africa seven days after um, the World Cup final. So we were all obviously still on a on a high. And then when we found out that we wouldn't have been, well, that we weren't flying to um, South Africa, it was quite a weird feeling, obviously having to miss a tour because of it. Um, but yeah, there was obviously so many positives to take out of that whole experience um, personally and as a team. So yeah, it's definitely some fond memories that I can look back on. And then when the world came to a complete halt because of the, the pandemic, what did you do with yourself? Uh, twiddled my thumbs a little bit. <laughs> nah, um, I tried to keep myself as busy as possible. Um, obviously, going into our off-season, we still have to keep up with our fitness and strength. So that um, kept me busy for a couple of hours a day. But other than that, um, I got into some painting, which was really cool. It's something that uh, I've never really explored before. Um, and, yeah, it was something that, I picked up only because of COVID and I basically said to my mum, look, I'm going to have to fill my time and fill my days with doing something um, useful. So, uh, yeah, started doing some paintings and actually really enjoyed doing it. It um, took up a lot of my time, which was good. Um, but other than that, I didn't do a lot um, else, to be honest. Yeah, I want to ask you about your, your painting and those links to your heritage in a moment. But uh, from a fitness and elite athlete perspective, how hard was it to stay engaged with well, just sport and community in general. Yeah, it's um, it can be hard at times when you have to train by yourself and um, you're the person trying to motivate yourself. And at times when you can't be bothered, there's no one there telling you you have to. So um, <laughs> you can find yourself sitting on the couch all day or doing things that you probably should be doing that you're not. And um, yeah, you've obviously got to keep yourself really accountable in that and know that you're only going to be... Um, yeah, doing that to yourself. And, and when you get back to pre-season, you're going to be the one that's unfit. So you always have to keep that in the back of your mind. But knowing in the long run that we were going to play cricket eventually and sport was going to be back on the TV for people to watch. And um, I guess that was a real drive for fastest athletes to, to stay in good nick coming back into the season. And was your first foray back into competition, was that uh, with the breakers? Was it the WBBL? How did you start again? Uh, yeah, so we obviously trained um, as the New South Wales Breakers group um, at the start and then our first I guess competitive cricket was um, the Australian series against New Zealand back in I think it was September mm. um, which seems like a lifetime ago <laughs> and then we went straight back basically in from that series into the WBBL so there was a busy little period there for a bit um, and then we had some time off over Christmas which was lovely to obviously spend at home and um, do things with family which we in a normal world probably wouldn't get the chance to do but um, yeah, after that break, we had WNCO, which has kept us busy up until this series. Yeah, so back with the national team now. Tell us, how is the side looking? Yeah, good. Um, I guess if you look at how everyone's been going um, in the WNCL, everyone's in really good nick, which is exciting. Um, we're obviously coming up against a team who we know um, a lot about and who we've had some good battles with in the past. So I think everyone's just raring to go, to be honest, and it's our um, last series of the um, season. So... Uh, I know everyone wants to finish on a high, which is exciting. 
And how much do you think the the quarantine will affect you? I mean, we we've heard from just recently the the tennis players who came into Melbourne and were saying, you know, if we can't play, then that really affects our competitive ability. How does that look from a from a cricket perspective? Um, I think we've been pretty lucky, to be honest with you. I've this is my second bit of quarantine that I've done, and um, in saying that, like we're not stuck in. I'm not stuck in this hotel room for 24 hours a day. We still have access to fresh air zones. Um, and like I said, from today, we could go out and train. And I guess that's the privileges that we do have as a sporting team. We still have those. Um, we'll, we still have access to be to be able to do those things, which is um, obviously really important going into a series. You don't want to go in not doing anything for two weeks and then go straight into a game. So, um, yeah, we're pretty lucky um, in the space that we're in, but we're obviously yeah, really fortunate to still be able to travel overseas and to do um, things that we love and, I guess, keep our job going. Yeah, well, you've seriously been all over the world uh, with your cricket. What's your favourite ground to play at? Um, favourite ground? Probably still in Australia, to be honest with you. Um, I love playing at the SCG and I love playing at Adelaide Oval. They're probably two of the best grounds in the world and I think a lot of people would probably back that up as well. But um, in regards to places to travel, uh, it would definitely have to be the West Indies just because it's um, such a great vibe over there and it's um, yeah, such a fun place to go. And uh, the hardest team to play against. So what's the most challenging uh, trip that you can think of? Probably England and India, only because the conditions wise. Um, India is very unique in the way that obviously their grounds are, um, I guess, made in a way, but like it's completely opposite to here in in Australia. And England, sometimes the overhead conditions can be different um, in comparison to being back home in Australia. So they're probably two of the harder places to travel around the world. Well, we've seen you star with both bat and ball. Tell us who, as if you're at the crease, who is the toughest bowler that you, you not dread facing, but the most challenging one to face? Oh, there'd be a few. Um, <laughs> or are they on, I your, mean, own, in on your own team? To, <laughs> in my own team, well, there's a few people that I don't really like facing in the nets. Um, I don't really like facing Tave Lemmick. Um, she's pretty quick. She probably bowls about 120Ks. Um, and, yeah, she's probably someone that, isn't that enjoyable to face in the nets? But um, in regards to international cricket, it's probably um, the likes of Amelia Kerr or Leah mm. Tahuhu. Um, I think Amelia Kerr is obviously a very crafty spinner and she's going to be someone that we're coming up against. So there's going to, I'm going to have to come up with my own personal plans to, I guess, overcome her. And um, Leah Tahuhu bowls pretty similar pace to Tave Lemmick. So um, yeah, nice and quick. How about when you've got the ball in hand, you're uh, your favourite person to bowl to or, or someone that you relish the opportunity? Um, I mean, anyone that's, Anyone in international cricket, to be honest, everyone's so good. But um, there's a couple of people that I don't like bowling against. <laughs> um, but I guess, yeah, I just try and relish in those opportunities and, um, yeah, just try and do what I do best. And um, individually, I probably would say my favourite person to get out would be Sophie Devine, only because mm. she's one of the best in the world for a reason. But, um, yeah, there'd be many bowlers, uh, batters that I could name. Well, Ash Gardner's been a star since she burst onto the scene and after the break, we go back to where it all began. You're listening to Trailblazers. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Well, we're chatting to Ash Gardner, who's currently in New Zealand with the women's national cricket team. Ash, where did it start for you? How did you get into cricket? 
I guess like um, a lot of Aussie kids, it was in the backyard with my brother and my dad. And um, I guess dad recognised that I had some sort of cricketing talent and signed me up for my first team when I was about seven years old. So um, that's basically where it started. So do you think that learning, your brother's Aaron, correct? Yeah. 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 Do, do you think uh, playing against your brother made you a bit tougher when you started? <laughs> for sure. Um, he never took it easy on me. I guess I'm probably thanking him now later in my career, but um, yeah, it was always a challenge in the backyard. He was, um, yeah, like I said, he never took it easy. So he was always trying to bowl as fast as possible and trying to hit the ball as far as he could when, when I was bowling at him. But um, yeah, they're the fondest memories that I have from my childhood was in the backyard with the cricket ball um, or bat in my hand or playing a, a bit of rugby league in the backyard as well with him. I was going to ask if there was any other sport or was it just your brother trying to take your head off with the ball every delivery? Um, <laughs> what, what other sports? So you played a, a bit of league. Did you ever play that or was it just fun in the, in the back garden? No, I did. I, I ended up playing rugby league. I started when I was four. Um, funny story, I was um, put into ballet by um, my mum and then I went down to my brother's footy training and um, just absolutely loved it. So I was like, yeah, please take me out of ballet and put me in rugby league. It's polar opposites. It's quite funny, but um, I was a massive tomboy, so I was never going to fit in the, in the ballet classes, but um, yeah, played from four till I think 11 or 12. So I played for quite a few years, but um, I ended up stopping basically because the boys were getting way too big and they used to just purposely line me up when I was um, going up for a hit up and absolutely flattened me. So I was like, yeah, I think this is um, my time to stop playing. Uh, but you didn't go back to uh, toe shoes and pirouettes. Uh, did you know any other girls who actually played cricket at the time? Not many, to be honest. Um, I ended up started uh, starting playing with the girls when I was eight um, in an under 12s team. And um, yeah, obviously I've only ever really played with girls that are older than me. And um, I think that's been the best thing for my development being a younger player um, in most squads was always playing with people that were better um, and older and just have more experience. So I could um, obviously lean on them or talk to them about the game, which has always been something that I've um, yeah, cherished. And yeah, it's, it's something that if I was to give advice to, to young girls now, it's yeah, make sure that you obviously try your best, but also don't be afraid of um, playing with the boys because the boys are generally better um, from a younger age. And yeah, they're some of my fondest memories was playing in those teams. Yeah, do you think there's an argument for that? Because across many of the sports, and we're seeing women's sport become so much more professional and uh, and much better organised than it was many years ago, but there's a certain toughness that uh, a lot of the women developed when they were younger playing with the guys. Do you think that's, that's something that we could actually find a balance for? Absolutely, and I, I think um, especially in non-contact sports um, like cricket, it's, it's something where... I think is so important in those young girls' careers is you're, like I said, you're playing with boys that are better um, and boys generally at that age are just that little bit better than you and I guess it always challenges you to to want to be as good as them. Um, but in, yeah, in saying that, obviously not not every sport, um, yeah, is good for girls to be playing with the boys in like rugby league. I probably don't advise that, but um, I mean, it's going to toughen you up pretty quickly. But, um, yeah, cricket for sure, I think girls should still be um, enrolled in boys' teams as much as possible. And tell me, did, were you a cricket fan as well? Did you watch cricket like over the summer? Was that your staple viewing or you'd rather actually be out there? Uh, a bit of both, to be honest. Um, I'm still a massive cricket nuffy. I catch myself watching um, too much of it probably. Um, 
but yeah, I used to love it. My dad loves it still. Um, so whenever it was on the TV, he was he was sitting down watching it, and I've still got um, idols from back then um, who I grew up watching. Um, obviously, they don't play anymore, but um, yeah, they were my idols growing up. Some of those players, and um, yeah, it was some of the best memories that I've had. Mm. So, who were those idols? Uh, Andrew Simons is the number mm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I gravitated towards him because he was different. Um, he had dreads, he wore zinc on his lips um, and he wasn't like everyone else. And in saying that, and it was the way that he played his cricket as well. Like he was always someone who wanted to take the game on and um, move it forward. And whether that was with bat or ball in hand or, or even in the field, um, it was something a part of, I guess, a part of his game, which I um, not try and replicate, but take into my game is really just trying to take the game on and be really fearless in in what I do on the cricket field. And I think he um, did that really well. Yeah, really entertaining and uh, kind of, uh, I guess, swashbuckling and uh, yeah, exciting to watch, which, which is what you've developed into your own game. Now, of course, you play a lot of T20, but which format of the game would you say you grew up enjoying the most? Was it the shorter form? Um, I guess grow Growing up as a kid, you watched a lot of test match cricket and um, unfortunately um, females don't get to play a lot of test matches. But, um, yeah, like you said, I obviously play a lot of white ball cricket, so 50 overs and T20s. And um, I guess my game's probably suited towards T20 cricket. But in saying that, I love playing um, 50 over cricket because it obviously gives you more opportunities to to get the ball in your hand or to even score more runs. So, um yeah, I don't think I have a favourite, um, to be honest with you, because I don't think my game really changes much um, between formats. Mm. Um, did your school have a team? We did, yeah. My high school, actually primary and high school did, which is really cool. And were you a good student or were you just uh, always outside? <laughs> I was an awful student. Um, <laughs> if you were to ask most of my teachers, probably from say year nine to year 11, um, they probably wouldn't have many good words to say about me. I was just one of those little smart asses up the back, probably talked way too much, distracted people. Um, and yeah, obviously I just wanted to be outside playing sports. So PE was obviously always my favorite subject because it was, um, at least once a week I had a prac lesson and that's something that I always look forward to. But, um, yeah, school's obviously some of my fondest memories as well, but, um, yeah, I don't think I was the greatest student to be honest. Was lucky, lucky you turned out to be a very talented cricketer. Um, when did you start to take your sport seriously and, and think it could be potentially a career? Uh, when I was in year 12, that was when I first got my state contract for the New South Wales Breakers. And um, so I was 17 at the time and cricket was the only sport I was playing. So I guess I had some sort of focus um, at that age. And uh, for the first two years of my contracting um career to the breakers I think I only played one game um and I knew that something was going to have to change for me to I guess play more um and luckily for me the big bash um the WBBL Mm. came around for the first year and um yeah that kind of put me on the scene and I guess gave me that opportunity to to really relish in those opportunities and um I'm I'm very thankful for the Sixers support staff who who gave me that opportunity to um, to bat up the order and I guess to to show people what I was capable of doing. But I think from probably age 20, maybe when I was just, um, maybe just when I got selected first for Australia, um, I felt way out of my depths being within this team because I knew how much better everyone else was. And I was pretty lucky to to be given the opportunity to, to represent Australia, but I had to have an attitude change because um I was so reliant on talent getting me everywhere. And um, 
obviously talent only lasts so long and, and people have to start really working hard. So that's when I started focusing on things just outside of, um, I guess, the cricket bat and ball. And I really started focusing on um, getting a bit fitter, getting stronger. Um, and I guess that all puts together you being a better athlete. So you're going to be performing better. Um, so, yeah, there was a big attitude change and a lot of maturing that um, had to be done. Mm. And and how did you survive and thrive financially? I mean, cricket's been at the forefront for the women of uh, actually supporting their players properly financially. But but how does that extend when you're trying to break into those teams? I mean, it's all well and good when you're contracted, but when you're trying to break through, uh, how do you, you know, maintain life? Yeah, it's hard. Um, when I look back at my first ever state contract, it was um, $3,000 for Ooh. 12 months. Um, <laughs> And my first ever big bash contract was also 3000 So to look back at that now, like it's pretty crazy just to see how much the game's grown in um, the six or seven years that I've been involved. Mm. Um, when now girls are given that opportunity to, to be able to put cricket first and um, there's obviously still people out there that have to work to um, survive financially because people can't afford to I guess own a home and be on a state contract and a big bash contract because it's not it's not actually possible so um, there's still a long way to go for those girls to be on a level playing field and um, to be given the opportunity just to focus on cricket and hopefully within the next I guess five years those contracts go up but um, yeah I guess all these things take time and um, just just to see where the games come from to where it is now is a massive um, positive movement. Mm. And uh, you would have obviously had to have other little gigs on the side. I think I heard that you worked at Kingsgrove Sports Centre. Is that right? The the cricket kit godfather, yeah. Harry Solomons. I mean, that's War Brothers <laughs> territory and Michael Clark. Uh, was that just uh, location or, or did you think maybe you're on a good trajectory there? <laughs> yeah, I was um, lucky enough to work for Kingsgrove Sports for uh, I think it was two or three years Um at the time I was sponsored by Kingsgrove as well. So um, I kind of had that in and then I was basically asking like, is there any chance that I can, I guess, get a job here? Um, Because I'd I'd finished school and I, um, at the time I was only studying part-time. So I obviously had a lot of free days and um, I needed to make some money because (laughs) three grand probably wasn't going to get me very far. Um, So yeah, it was working there and um, I really enjoyed it. But I guess once cricket started to take off and I had to go away for longer tours and stuff like that. Um, I guess that's when more money was involved. So I thought I probably didn't have to work um, a part-time job anymore, but um, yeah, it was so much fun working there and just learning about the other side of cricket, which is the gear and the bats and things like that. And just hearing different um, people's perspectives on it as well, which is really cool. Inside and outside cricket, Ash Gardner is a wonderful ambassador in the indigenous space that's coming up on Trailblazers. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. We're chatting to Ash Gardner. And Ash, your Indigenous heritage is something you're incredibly proud of. Tell us about your people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from a young age, my mum told my brother and I um, about our culture and it was obviously something that she was really proud to tell us. Um, my people are the Murawari people from northwest of New South Wales, Um going through a town called Wilmaringle, um, which is in the middle of absolutely nowhere, so you would not have a clue where that <laughs> is. But um, I still, unfortunately, haven't gone out to to where my mob's from and um, I was actually planning on going out there last year, but COVID happened, so I wasn't able to, to do that. But it's something that I really want to 
go down and explore because over the past probably 12 to 18 months, it's been something that I want to learn more about because um, I want to educate people on, on all the things about our culture and, and the first nations people, because there's so many people that out there that are uneducated in this space and just need to learn more um, to, I guess, not say things that they probably don't, well, there's no malice behind certain things that people say, but just to, to avoid those little comments here and there, um, whether they're racial or not, or just little snide comments. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I want to do. And it's um, been, been a process that I've really enjoyed so far, just talking to different people, talking to different family members and just hearing different stories. So um, yeah, it's a space that I'm really passionate about and um, yeah, willing to learn more. Yeah, what you mentioned is uh, something that I often think is, you you said there's no malice in it. It's often ignorance, isn't it? And I think education is an important part of that. You actually have the Ash Gardner Foundation. Is that something uh, that you work on through that foundation or is that more about education uh, for Indigenous kids? Uh, The foundation's more towards um, educating Indigenous kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I basically set it up because I wanted to, I wanted to help and I thought, what way can I do this and who do I want to help? And I thought, well, it'd be silly for me not to want to help my own. And, um, yeah, I set it up to empower the Aboriginal community through education mainly, but also through sport and and art, which is obviously um, relates back to me personally. So I think education for those kids will change um, a lot of statistics and a lot of trends that happen through the Aboriginal culture, which is really sad statistics. And that's something that I have a real passion for because I want to change those things and I want um, people to live better lives. And in in saying that, if we're educating our own, we should be educating non-Indigenous people as well at the same time because they're probably the people that we need to to educate more on because um, obviously people have their opinions and views, but sometimes um, they're not right ones. And like you said, that's probably more ignorance than anything. It's just people aren't willing to learn these things and that's um, the biggest barrier is people just not wanting to to learn more and that's probably the most frustrating part being an Aboriginal person is people just don't care sometimes and and it can be quite hurtful sometimes and people just aren't willing to to change things but um, I think it's very generational and um, there's I think my generation is very different probably to my parents generation in this willingness to learn and it's something that obviously we want to explore as Aboriginal people and people that are, I guess, in the spotlight a little bit to, to actually have those voices for for the smaller people. Mm, when we look at having a, a voice, I mean, this came very much to the forefront in Australia when the uh, American Black Lives Matter uh, movement was on the front pages and those sorts of social justice issues. Uh, now, there was a lot of talk about sports teams taking a knee. You elected not to. Why did you choose that? Yeah, um, I, it was something that happened obviously through um, the Big Bash Hub and mm. um, it fell through NAIDOC week. So we we were celebrating the Aboriginal culture um, and the way that I saw it was taking a knee was very, um, it's institutionalised racism and that's why it happens in America and that's why they take a knee through uh, their anthem um, mm. because it's obviously them I guess, standing up against um, the police or the government or whatever it may yeah. be. And rather than doing that, we were doing a more cricket-centric way and something more touching towards my culture, and that was to do a barefoot circle, and that's something that um, all players really um, jumped on board with. And um, it basically just grounds people and 
makes them appreciate the land that we're on and and to pay their respects to the people that were there before them and um, to acknowledge those people. And that's something that I was really passionate about. And I know the other um, uh, Indigenous creators that were in there were passionate about as well. And um, I think at one point it was people were almost taking a knee because it was seen as the right thing to do, which um, really frustrates me because some people probably didn't want to do it, but almost felt like they had to because they were in support of their teammates. And I know as a club, um, as a Sixers club, we were really considerate, all, they, all the girls are really considerate of my views and um, the other two internationals' um, religious views as well. So, um, yeah, it was really great to have their support in, in my decision and also the other two girls' decision as well. I thought it was quite beautiful. When I watched it, it's, it just spoke volumes. And that, as you said, is is part of your passion. The other one you've mentioned a couple of times is your art. Now, that's uh, the Aboriginal dot painting, and you are creating some absolutely stunning pieces. I, I think you mentioned COVID gave you time to, to work on that. But how's that going? You do shoes as well, don't you? Thank you. Um, yeah, I've done a couple of pairs of shoes now. Um, and, yeah, like I've obviously mentioned before, it was – only because of COVID and it was something that I guess a path that I've never been down to explore and um, it's been something that I've really enjoyed and I can tell you now that I guess like most hobbies when you start you're probably not that great and um, I've definitely gotten better along the way I think I've finished might be 13 or 14 paintings now and um, yeah it's just been cool to see the journey Um, I think I would almost be 12 months ago now that I did my first one. Um, so, yeah, just to see the difference in in the way that I've, I guess, gone about my style or just how much better I've gotten um, has been really cool. Is there a, people, is there, is there a community that you talk to uh, of, of other people that do Aboriginal art? I know I've spoken to the likes of, say, uh, Gavin Wanganeen and, and those sorts of guys who, who are also uh, in that space. It, or is this something that just comes from within and what appears on your canvas is is what you're feeling? I guess you go back to the person that you're doing it for and um, ask them what kind of story they want. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you as an artist can depict it in whatever way that you see, um, you see fit. And obviously some people see things differently. And I guess that's the beautiful thing about art is there's no right or wrong way to do it. Um, Everyone can see or read the story differently. And um, obviously I have a way of painting that, um, but other Aboriginal artists might do it a different way, but, yeah, like I said, I think that's the the beauty of art is there's so many different ways that you can portray um, certain stories. And I guess that's the most beautiful thing about Aboriginal art. There's always a story behind the pieces. And that's something that I've really enjoyed is talking to, talking to the people that I'm doing it for and I guess wanting to know what they want throughout, um, which mm. has been, yeah, really cool. Well, you're so busy with that work uh, off the field, but on the field, you're also an ambassador. I remember in 2016, you captained the inaugural Australian Aboriginal women's team in India. How did that come about? That's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> that seems like a lifetime ago now, to be <laughs> honest. Um, yeah, it was an absolutely um, amazing experience to go over there. I was, I would have been what 18 at the time. Mm. So to, to captain a team over in India with a bunch of girls that have never even left the country, let alone played cricket in a different country, um, was quite an experience. Um, I took a lot of learnings out of that as a player, but also as a captain and just ways to, I guess, go about things. And especially with an inexperienced group. Um, Mm. Yeah, it was challenging at times, whether that was off field stuff or both on the field. But um, I also got the opportunity two years later to to captain the side again um, on the commemoration tour to England 
which was awesome to to go over there with um, the men's team as well. And I mm. guess to talk to Dan Christian, who was the captain of the men's team and just from a captaincy point of view and a leadership point of view um, with the way that he goes about things to hear it from um, a male cricketer's perspective and things that I could work on. But um, every opportunity that I get to, to represent my country and my culture um, is always so special. And to, to be given the opportunity to go on those two tours, um, yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's superb when those those two things combine. The England tour you mentioned, uh, as you said, was the 150th anniversary of uh, another tour by the Aboriginal team that played in the UK in 1868. That was actually the first team uh, to tour internationally in any sport. That was before Urns, before Baggy Greens. And it just begs the question, why are you the first Indigenous woman to be in a national cricket team since Faith Thomas? Why has that taken so long? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Um I guess there's probably a number of things, but there probably always there hasn't always been that pathway for for young Aboriginal cricketers to I guess aspire to be a cricketer um, and play for their country. I know um, accessibility to to cricketing facilities or to cricketing equipment um, isn't always easy to come by. It's quite um, expensive at times, and um, if you look at I guess demographically a lot of um, Aboriginal people don't live in cities Um, there obviously is a lot that live in cities but if you look at how many people across Australia there's a lot um, regionally and rurally and I don't think they get given that opportunity to I guess go down that path because they always have a footy in their hands and footy's cheaper and they don't need to I guess put shoes on they can go out and kick the footy um, with their mates or um, at school and I think another factor is young Aboriginal kids haven't always or they haven't had idols within the cricketing space to look up to. Um, They haven't had people to want to be like. But then you look at, I guess, the NRL and the AFL, there's such a high number of um, Aboriginal men playing those sports. It's those kids always have someone to look up to and, and to have an idol to want to be like. So I guess that's something for me going through my career, it's always needing to be that positive role model for those kids if they want to become a cricketer one day, which is fantastic. But just to be a strong, positive um, female role model for for both men and women um, in that space, I think is really important. And um, yeah, hopefully within the next, I guess, five to 10 years, we see more um, Aboriginal people playing sport at the highest level. Yeah, it's that whole if you see it, you can be it uh, ethos, isn't it? And uh, I know that Dan Christian was the one that presented you with your cap. Was that a, a wonderful moment, even though it wasn't a, a female, but someone who'd, who'd walked the same road? Absolutely. Dan's, um, he's actually become quite a good friend of mine. And um, yeah, going back to that 2018 tour was, I guess, where we kind of met and got to talk more Um and to have him present my cap uh, uh, in England was, yeah, super special. I didn't have any family touring with me. So he was, I guess, the closest person um, that I had to family over there. And, yeah, it was, um, I'm not going to lie, I probably watched that video back probably five or six times <laughs> now. Um, and just to listen to to the kind words that he had to say um, is something that I'll never forget. And it was such a special memory um, to have him there presenting it and, um, throughout the speech, he he mentioned um, getting in touch with Jason Gillespie and Faith Thomas, who were the two um, Aboriginal cricketers to play Test cricket before me. I was only the I am only the third. Um, so yeah, to have to have him touch on those points as well was, was um, yeah super special. 
Ash Gardner is an important role model herself, and she's had an impressive career thus far with many accolades. But next up, we look at what's ahead. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Well, we've got Australian women's cricketer Ash Gardner with us all the way from New Zealand. Uh, Ash, even in the last few years, women's sport has come such a long way. Uh, What's been the biggest change from your perspective? Absolutely. Um, And it's so exciting to be involved in. Um, There's probably a number of things within the cricket space, obviously, like we touched on earlier. The pay um, has been something that's been a massive improvement, but more recently, the parental leave um, for us cricketers, us female cricketers, um, is a massive step for for people that I guess are wanting to have families and not far off having families, it's been something that probably hasn't been viable in the past and people have had to take time off or um, just stop playing and it's something that they don't have to do now if they want to have start a family. I guess they're guaranteed that that next year contract and I guess that's the most exciting thing um, to be involved in is people are now exploring that path and, yeah, it's um, pretty special. It's been wonderful to see the increased support and also I think from a a medical and and strength and conditioning and those sorts of sides. I know you were sidelined for a short period due to a concussion um, and that's something I think in the past that, you know, people would have brushed past for the women's game, but it's it's properly professional in that aspect now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it has to be um, because not only does that affect someone physically, but I think concussion is one of those injuries that mentally really gets you down and um, I think I've been uh, I think concussed probably seven or eight times now Um, and it's more frustrating than anything because I guess my level has dropped a little bit and it probably takes less for me to get concussed than what it would for any other player which is um, Mm. really annoying in some aspects but um, it's something that I obviously have to um, live with and it's something that I have to I guess yeah keep working on but yeah it's one of those things where They've had to put time and effort into, um, obviously, after the tragedy of Phil Hughes, but um, hopefully we never have to see something like that happen again. But it's it just reiterates how important um, people's brains are um, <laughs> because, obviously, if we didn't have them, we wouldn't be here. But, yeah, it's, it's one of those injuries that, obviously, people can't see, but um, it's probably one of the most important ones. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you spoke about something that you have to keep an eye on and something you have to keep working on. How do you stay at the top of your game? Um, a lot of time and hard work, I guess there's always things. And I guess that's the beauty with cricket is there's always things that you can be better at and you can work on. I know even, um, the likes of Meg Lanning, um, she's always trying to work on certain things and, um, she's one of the best batters in the world. And I guess that's, yeah, that's the beauty of sport is there's always room for improvement. Um, but yeah, I, I think you just need to obviously put in a lot of time and time and effort and that comes back to, to people that are around you as well and that's the coaching staff and people that are there that are willing to still develop your game no matter where you're at in your career. And yeah, there's always times and the most frustrating part about cricket is um, you, you probably have more bad days than good. Um, <laughs> but I guess those good days are the ones that keep you in it and um, keep the love for the game. So yeah, there's obviously hard work is is the main thing um, that you obviously need to be the best at in some regards. Yeah, you just got to make sure your good days are on the really uh, important ones, hey? Um, <laughs> who helps you the most or who has in the past helped you the most with your game, with your your technique, with the development of, of how you play? Um, there's been a number of people obviously being in and out of different teams and different squads. You obviously come across a lot of different coaches, but of more recent times, um, Anthony Clark, who was involved in the Sydney Sixers, 
um, helped me a lot and he's one of the funniest people I've ever met. So he always makes training really good and um, makes training fun and just keeps it really simple because I know, well, being female, you tend to overthink a lot and um, especially in the game of cricket, you 10 times that. So he was someone that just tried to make my game really simple and just to focus on the small things. Um, but within the Australian setup, we're pretty lucky with that we've got um, all different types of coaches. We obviously have a spin coach in Shelly Nitschke, who mm. was one of the best um, in her time. So it, it's great to have a resource like her, but um, just someone to lean on as well. And I think um, they're two of the people that have probably helped me within the past yeah, two to three years. Ash, you've got the luxury of uh, having many years ahead of you in cricket. Have you thought beyond your sports career what might be in your future? Yeah, I do a little bit because um, it's pretty scary that I guess once cricket stops, um, I have to live a normal life like everyone else because <laughs> <laughs> we live a pretty fortunate life. Being a sports person, travelling um, the world, playing a sport that we absolutely love, but it's definitely something that um, – I need to think of and it's something that's going to have to happen at one point. So um, I've always wanted to be um, a firefighter, um, but whether that happens or not um, by the time I finish cricket is another thing. But um, if I I do need to go back and study, um, that's something that I do really need to do because of life after cricket. But I would love to be a strength and conditioning coach. Um, It's something that I've uh, got a real passion for probably over the last two months when I've really um, put my head down and, and focus in that department of my game. And um, I love questioning as to why I'm doing certain exercises or doing things. And um, I would love to be there to, to one day hopefully help those athletes um, coming up and yeah, trying to get to the level that I'm lucky enough to play it now. I'm still stuck on the firefighter part. That sounds uh, absolutely wonderful. Uh, and it'd be a very exciting career. Certainly uh, see plenty of action. But whichever field you go into, what is the transition like for players? Because in you mentioned it's been, what, five or six years uh, at the elite level. Uh, there is a point in time where players look at transitioning. And before, uh, many years ago, it used to just be, you know, you hang up the boots, put the bat away, and that was it. And you had to, to find your own way. Is there more support are there programs now for the cricketers yeah absolutely and I think um our cricketers association is fantastic in that um where they have this I guess retiring um fund for cricketers where obviously if you don't have a job straight away you've still got that financial support um behind you which is a fantastic initiative um but they also have programs obviously for those people that are on the verge of retiring or that do retire because I know people probably take it a little bit differently when they have been in and around a professional environment um, to find themselves not in that um, anymore, which is uh, a pretty scary thought, to be honest with you. Um, But like you said, I've hopefully still got a few more years um, ahead in in my career, but it's something that I think is really important for those players to, um, to be involved in because it can be quite a difficult time when you're finally retire it's probably relieving for most people if you've um, been riddled with injuries or you haven't had the best run or whatever it is at the end of your career but it's something that I think is really important for those athletes. Well fortunately it's not something you need to think about in the immediate future next up it is uh, New Zealand and then what does the rest of the year look like you have you look like for you have you had an opportunity to look ahead? Yeah our next um I think it's like two to three years is um, absolutely nuts. Um, <laughs> we've got an Ashes at home um, at the end of this year and then we've obviously got our Big Bash. Um, we've got a World Cup back here in New Zealand next year. 
Um, and then that's followed in 2023. Actually, in 2022, we've got the Com Games. Um, and then in 2023, there's another T20 World Cup. So there is a lot going on. Um, so there's plenty of cricket, which is fantastic. That's obviously what we want after the year that we've had. And hopefully all that stuff goes ahead. But, um, yeah, it's really exciting to be involved in. Exciting times indeed. Uh, first up's New Zealand. And just finally, tell us, uh, what are you expecting? A clean sweep? <laughs> I'd love that. Um, I guess you can never yeah, guarantee those things. But um, I think our record against them in the past has been really positive and um, they've had a pretty tough series against England, which has just finished. So I guess the thing that we want to do is keep capitalising on that and um, don't let those things slip and I guess keep our record where it is and just keep being successful, I think. Ash Gardner, you're an absolute legend on and off the field. Thank you so much for taking some time out of what is a packed schedule to chat to us on Trailblazers. Good luck for the coming weeks. Thanks for having me.